0: just couldn't believe that there was this rustic uh bubble you know in the middle of a big busy bustling city and yet just you know a few blocks from downtown and there were a lot more characters there were a lot more rundown boats it was it was pretty funky that was margaret
1: casey i'm jeff and this is Story at san francisco Every week on this podcast, you'll hear from poets, artists, business owners, and San Franciscans from all walks of life, telling stories, sharing personal histories, and trying to put into words what makes this city so special. Welcome to Episode 29, Part 2. In Part 1, Margaret shared the story of her wacky journey from Australia to San Francisco. In this podcast, she fills us in on her life since she decided to make San Francisco her home. Included is the story of how she met episode 15 storyteller Sarah Davis and came to live on a houseboat in Mission
0: Creek. Here's Margaret. Well, yeah, I was was sort of burning with passion at the time. I'd hooked up with this uh, poet and author named Alan Kaufman, who sort of spends his time between here and New York. He's just got a new book out called uh, The Berlin Woman. But he and I were sort of rushing back and forth in here and there. and. were we be full of it? Yeah, probably. But we were, you know, we were living our dream yeah. and we had a lot of fun. But it was a spectacularly dysfunctional um, relationship. Spectacular. Happiness, spectacularly. Spectacularly. <laughs> even I was scandalized by it. Um, yeah. But fortunately, we remain on good terms and good. talk to each other occasionally. Um,
1: so you got into writing poetry? Yes. Yourself?
0: Yes, I did. And I had, I, I had a modest success. But I also had to get to work and pay the bills and uh, just sort of get real about... Um. Of course, I wasn't entitled to any benefits or anything like that. Not that I would have got them, but, um, yeah, it was up to me. So, Do you still write poetry at all? I do, but I'm afraid the problem is, is I'm very happy. And I don't have that... I think you turn to uh, something ex- as, as um, distilled... As poetry, when you have great pain and you're looking for a way to share it mm-hmm. out, mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And as time went by, and I got happier and better adjusted, and lost more bad habits, it just—it's hard to do. Damn it! I'm happy. To <laughs> be upset about being happy. Well, just- yeah. I mean, that's <laughs> that's somewhere I could go. <laughs> sure. Sorry, I'm just. Looking I'm through. not happy about yeah. being happy. Yeah. <laughs> So the saxophone, you're like this. I'm like, this is it. This is it. This just anywhere that can make magic like this is special. And I started to believe all it, Not believe, but, you know, buy into all the anecdotal stuff that people would say about San Francisco, such as it's magical or it's not like anywhere else or only in San Francisco. I, you know, I, I came to subscribe fully to that.
1: And it was a different, it, well, it's constantly changing, of, of course, but it's a different version. This is early 90s? Early
0: 90s. And it was different because people were really, you know, the, the number of deaths, I, I, you know, identified deaths from AIDS was profound. Mm-hmm. And with my friend Paul Brown um, and all of his friends in the gay community, there was someone dying every every week and somehow or another, Paul was always the one that came home with the box of dress ups. So, um, you know, we had, we found that the best way to deploy these uh, costumes was to have a, a garage, sa- a sidewalk sale and um, be out there dressed up and to attract people. And one time we had a great, it was a costume for the Supremes. So we had three long, you know, Lurex dresses and three wigs. And um, I was a little bit shorter than everybody else. So Paul artfully went and got a pair of those like Japanese clogs and like wired them onto two coffee cans. So that we could all be roughly the same height. You know, we made it. We made a, for us, a small fortune that That's day awesome. on the sidewalk. The sisters are special. So special. Yeah. That, and, and that is truly something that you won't find anywhere else. And I mean, the, the having been. Com- Fully educated in the Catholic system, I was educated exclusively by nuns. You know the thought of them on roller skates, you know flying down a hill was was irresistible,
1: yeah, as I told one or two of them when we uh, were recording, I've lived here twenty some odd years, and any t- it's still true today, Any time I'm somewhere and there are sisters, if I'm part of an event or if it's just even just walking down the street, it always just feels special yeah, like they they make things special they do they
0: do and And the group of sisters that that i knew they had made this movie and it was called rat girl ronda and it was uh based on the bad seed It was hilarious it was short but if anyone out there ever ever has a copy of rat girl ronda it should be on youtube it does it does i want to
1: see that cool okay um What's next?
0: So um, we're moving toward the boats, moving toward the houseboats. I had uh, got a job at for uh, Bay West Showplace Investors and they were a group of uh, property developers who uh, down on Henry Adams Street had the showplace, the Galleria, um, a couple of other buildings, a lot of parking lots in between, um, the, there was the Baker Hamilton. They didn't own that building. But there was a whole scene going on down there with high-end furnishings and uh, v- venues. The concourse was the, was the largest privately owned venue in the city of San Francisco. So, you know, we would... Um, get a lot of requests and we did a lot of big events. The Exotic Erotic Ball was there for a long time and that had originally started out as like truly an underground um, people's event but I truly... Like a lot of things. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. By the time it ended I think it was just uh, you know prom night for tweakers. Mm -hmm. I don't know how else to describe it. Mm -hmm. But we did the first raves there A rave called Sharon and uh, a bunch of other different raves and later on concerts and all kinds of things so I had become very involved with the events community um, with the police at 850 Bryant for the permitting there was also this was also they were lofts and you know building conversions were starting to happen and a lot of with a lot of these there would be you know there'd be a steel frame so whereas before we had never never had any neighbors to complain about the noise, we started to get residents, uh, spe- especially once we started doing the raves, because the you know the bass will travel and it'll reverberate in the steel foam and frame, and um, you know it's no good telling residents, well, if you want a bucolic lifestyle, you know, <laughs> what, yeah. are, what are you doing here?
1: But it reminds me of people who move somewhere and don't bother to know where they're moving and then com- come in and complain. And, you know, there's a freeway running. And yeah, you knew that when you moved well, in. Well, that's right. The airport. Or- and another
0: thing that we did a lot of was Latin dances. Oh, fun. Uh, with uh, the guy that owned, um, says, his Latin Palace on uh, Mission Street. And so we would have these um, big Latin dances. And they were a lot of fun, Um There would always be a photo op with a statue of the Virgin Mary, where you could, uh, the Virgin of Guadalupe, where you could take your Polaroid home with you. People would walk around with these little sort of woven. I don't know really what you'd call them. They were sort of strips. But it, 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 you could identify yourself regionally. Uh, there'd be some great cat fights <laughs> on the floor, you know, if somebody's mistress was there with somebody's wife and <laughs> it could all uh, blow apart. And the, the the guy that owns Cesar's Latin Palace, his name was um, Cesar Ascarons. And the greatest compliment he ever paid me, he was a you know a certain type of guy mm-hmm. and he would come around and try and talk me into renting him the building and I'd be resisting. And finally his his big move was he dropped to one knee and sang Timey Kangaroo Downsport by Rolf Harris. <laughs> and it was like, okay, I'll go back to my office and do the contract. So it was during that course in time That I was acquiring a lot of knowledge about crowd control, about waste disposal, about all all kinds of things like this. About event management. Exactly. And so I had – I worked on and off for this company for like 15 years. And by about 1998, the tech conferences were starting to really take this new format of being huge, you know, huge events – and so, there was a company called PeopleSoft, and they, they, were, they were as big as Salesforce is now. But PeopleSoft started doing these user conferences, and they hired these two guys, Ron Regina and Don Richards, very creative guys who um, had come through the School of Architecture at UC Berkeley, and they started they came to me and said, listen, we've got to do this huge concert. It's got headline entertainment and we want the concourse, but we also want the show place and the galleria and we want the traffic circle. We're gonna put a Ferris wheel in there and we want the baker and we want the and we want and So working with them, that was how I met Sarah Davis, because it sort of called in everybody in town to work on this huge event and it really paved the way. For street closures for private events. Mm-hmm. Before then, it was virtu- It was virtually impossible to get a street closure for a private event. They had to be public and free and open. So that sort of started the blueprint um, for that kind of thing. And I, I suspect I met Sarah Davis at the dumpsters. We were having an excited, you know, enthusiastic conversation at
1: the dumpsters. <laughs> at the dumpsters. <laughs> That's amazing. But you're talking about um, like your Oracle World and your. Yes. Whatever it, they. The gaming one. And exactly. The Apple one so and all this that this, shit.
0: this first one, it had. I think it had. Uh, oh, my memories. I know it had Chris Isaac and it had. Drawing a Blank. Who did Rock Lobster? Oh,
1: uh, the B 52s.
0: Yes, it had the B 52s B-52. and a bunch of other people and bands playing in every room. Um, it was it was huge mm-hmm. And I remember um, at some point in time the In the concourse The restrooms at 7th Street broke down Not surprisingly And so, you know, I'm on the radio And there's all these people You know, the restrooms are broken down Quick, quick The restrooms are broken The restrooms are broken The restrooms are broken <laughs> I remember getting on it like The restrooms are dead <laughs> Forget it <laughs> Restrooms, no more Shut them down.
1: At least you had them, and you had the intent. Well, to that's right. Have them. That's it's that's exactly that right.
0: And then, sadly for me, that was the beginning—not sadly—of my um, voyage of discovery in the world of uh, public sanitation, um, okay, which I remain at the forefront of today.
1: <laughs> interesting. Yeah, you're. Um, one of your emails, maybe the first one, mentioned uh, your work with Off the Grid, the Sunday That's picnic. right. I
0: work for the Presidio Trust in their cultural and community programs okay. division. So. Um, Doing
1: sanitation? Or? No, no, okay. <laughs> like, no, no. It's got to be no, more than
0: that. No, but we we have grown this um, Presidio Picnic's event from being something that attracted a few hundred people over a few weeks to regularly getting seven thousand people every Sunday,
1: I can attest to that. I've been. Oh, you've been. I, I loved it. I got there early.
0: Did you have a pro- no? You got there early. So you didn't have a problem getting to the rest. I got there it. early. Yeah, I like that. Everyone, I like to get there
1: early. Everyone and should get there when early. When it gets to a certain critical mass, I mm-hmm. get out of there. That's right. In general, yep. But yeah, it was lovely. It's, yeah. it's also just a, it's a beautiful. Property well, it
0: is, base. and it's it's a curious thing because it's a national park. So it's a national park in an urban center, yet our our mindset is more, you know, you think more Yosemite than Golden Gate Park, but people come in expecting Golden Gate Park. So it's been a voyage of discovery to find ways to get people to come for the picnic and then stay, mm-hmm. stay for the park.
1: I remember when, this is another side note, yeah. uh, it being a national park, I remember when, Was it California that banned foie gras for a minute? Yeah. Yeah, but then the restaurants out there could serve it. That's right, because it's it's federal. federal
0: Yes, I know. I just just this (laughs) morning was discussing some messaging about smoking and a way to remind people that pot might be legal everywhere else in the state, but you're on federal property when you're at the Presidio Mm -hmm. and um, it's still against the law. Mm -hmm. Is someone going to whip out and write you a citation? Hmm, probably not. But you shouldn't be smoking in a national park anyway. So Yeah.
1: Did we fill in the gap between people? Is there... So okay, we, to, okay. So <laughs> sorry, now I've met Sarah <laughs> Davis.
0: Now yes. we're both working on these huge events. She and I went on to work on several more uh, because I actually left the show place and started working for um, Ron and Don on these big Events and that was wonderful for me because then I started to travel around the United States to Atlanta and Chicago and Los Angeles and all kinds of places that were.
1: These were all PeopleSoft events. Yes. Or oh, okay.
0: yes. And at that d- during that time, they also acquired Cisco Systems as a client. And so, interestingly enough, people from those days still do the Cisco events now, and of course. Sarah Davis is the biggest uh, street closer uh, in the nation. In the nation. In the nation.
1: Are we? Is that is it true? No, I, okay. I, that, yeah. that's not <laughs> yeah. that's
0: not verifiable. But right I've here. often been stuck in traffic trying to get home here to the boats, and thought to myself, "Damn you, Sarah Davis!"
1: Yep. Thanks a lot, neighbour.
0: <laughs> she. I once went uh, to the uh, you know the the traffic meeting where they where they decide all of the um, what we closed at what what won't. But she only let me come with her if we pretend if we pretended we didn't know each other in case I started going off complaining and she didn't want to be associated.
1: Oh <laughs> uh, wow. So so you're now working on with
0: Oh, uh Don Richards and Ron Regina.
1: Yeah, okay. Um So so are so were you kind of thinking like, Oh, event production is Something I'm really yes. really into yes
0: this was an opportunity to go and work with my favorite clients um, so I already knew a great deal about venue management and crowd control and some of the infrastructure issues and then being exposed to their creative uh, approach and the scale at which they figured things out um, yeah it was fantastic It was fantastic for a few years until the stock market crashed I think at the end of uh, two thousand one, mm-hmm. It was going down the tubes, mm-hmm. and everybody was pulling back um, mm-hmm. on their spending. And I actually got a call from the showplace, who said, "So what's it going to take for you to come back?" <laughs> so I went back okay. and um, worked there for quite a few more years, just managing those properties.
1: But um, by now, you and Sarah were pretty, pretty good friends. Yes,
0: by now we were. By now we were tight. I had come into the hospital. She called me the morning she had her baby. Mm -hmm. Like the room, naturally there was a crowded room and then everybody exited. And then I got a call. It was like 6 o'clock in the morning. And Sarah called and she said, you're the only person I know who's awake at 6 o'clock in the morning and I can't get up. I'm lying here, you know, all dressed up. And um, I'm looking at Sean and he looks like he's going to fall off the, um the little camp bed that they'd put up for him. So I said, Hold on, I'll be there.
1: Do you can you talk about the first time um w- was your friendship with Sarah uh is that the first time you kinda of came down to the houseboats? Yes. It I, w- was. I wanna hear I wanna hear about your first trip to the to the houseboats and what you what your impressions? Sure.
0: Well, I had seen them from the freeway, you know, like everybody else did. I kind of knew through Sarah that she lived down here. But before all of the UC campus was built out and they had the golf range down there under the freeway and they had this great little cafe that sold terrific hamburgers and it was a prop- popular um, Friday destination and I had been talking to Sarah about it and she said God whatever you do don't park in the houseboat parking spaces when you go down there so we just arranged the next time I went down there I came over to visit um, and the community garden was in its full glory at that point in time and I I just couldn't believe that there was this rustic uh, bubble you know in the middle of a big busy bustling city and yet just you know a few blocks from downtown and there were a lot more characters there were a lot more rundown boats it was it was pretty funky as people know it's very hard to get in here and what happened for me was that I was actually living in Las Vegas doing a project there and I got a call from Sarah Davis one Friday night she was pretty Let's just say she'd had a few drinks. And she said, hey, do you want to come live on a houseboat? Philip's going to Europe for three months and you can have his boat if you want.
1: That's the phone call I'm still waiting on, by the way. Uh, yeah. I will be for the rest of my... Anyway. Let,
0: let me tell you, if you get it, you say yes and you do it right away. Yeah. So that's what I did. I left Las Vegas and moved into Philip's house and spent three months here. That's Philip D'Andrade and uh, in
1: this house, exact house? No,
0: he's a couple doors down. Oh, okay. That way. And after 3 months, I couldn't stand the thought of leaving. It was I just I could I couldn't do it. I had trouble you know, packing up my stuff and figuring out what to do. I just didn't want to go. So, I took a second look at what was for sale now this place had already been presented to me as the second worst boat on the harbour and pretty much a total write-off and forget about it and I looked at it and I looked at it and I thought no I can fix this I can do it so I fortunately I had a little money I'd owned a house in Glen Park and sold that and because it's very hard to get a loan for a floating home extreme that's that's the problem uh right there so anyway um i was able to get it and then i just i had to gut it because at the time there were electrical cords trailing in the water there was a tiny horrid little sort of bathroom strange dwarf-like seat and some you know and it smelled bad and it had no heating and etc so anyway i just gutted it down to the studs.
1: And I'm going to say you've done an amazing job. It's it's lovely here. Thank and, you. And I used that. Is that the same bathroom? No. Okay.
0: No. The one thing I'd seen in the other houseboats was people always made their bathrooms tiny. Um, so I didn't. I made mine big enough to fit a washer dryer and a clawfoot yes, tub. Yes, um And I think Sarah was still living in the little boat that she grew up in. Although I don't know how anybody grew because it was pretty small, <laughs> <then>. <laughs> so that was my first visit, and then I would then I began to come down here and meet people. Um, and you know, we were talking about Jack Wicker earlier in those early days. I always remember he would call me ma'am. He wouldn't use my name. He just called me ma'am, and I thought I have to get to the bottom of what is what is with that, um, but I never could. Hmm. I never could
1: Back then Would you have ever Thought in a million years You also eventually No Yeah
0: No it wasn't until I actually Stayed here And was sleeping here And waking up in the morning here And getting involved In the lives of all the birds And the ducks And you know Following that whole Busy social life That those um, That the birds live That it got me Mm -hmm. And it got me good
1: (laughs) It caught you like a Like a crab trap or yes something. yeah, yeah.
0: It, i it just after doing it it was like well i just i can't not do this yeah. i have to be here
1: you said you moved here from Glen park yes and this is about you said eight or so years ago yes did you did and do you like Glen park neighborhood
0: yeah i loved it I it was like really you. good and it, 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 it um improved a lot you know it got it Well, it always had the library but eventually got the supermarket and there's Tiger's Cafe and there's that great bookstore and lots of other good things. And who can beat living near a BART station and freeway access? And, uh, yeah, it was a great place, truly a great place. It's just not a houseboat. (laughs) It's just not a houseboat, that's right. (laughs) That's right. No, I think the other thing that's really exceptional about being here is that we are a community. We do help each other. We look in when each other is sick. We bring each other food. We take care of each other's kids. We give each other rides. You can always call your neighbor for help and almost always someone will respond. And thats we're just a community. You know, we're not a religion. We're not a cult. We're not um, anarchists. We're not... um, We're just... We're just people. Well, besides location, uh, I mean, you
1: have a lifestyle in common. It's something that needs to be, you know, protected and advocated for. I think absolutely.
0: I think we're really cap- a. The boats are here because of that um, environmental um, bent to how we live down here. And I think protecting this shoreline – you know, protecting the trees and the habitat for the birds and the wildlife and the marine life. We have more than once um, untangled a sea lion, you know, with caution tape down their throat. Or, uh, you know, there's things like this that happen, that happen a lot. Every now and then we get the odd dead body that uh, washes up. We had one wash up about two years ago. And fortunately, the person who spotted it. Could see that it was bobbing and it was bobbing and going to go under the dock. So they they boat people do this kind of stuff. They just whipped up a lasso and caught it and tied it up until (laughs) until the medical examiner could come and um, help us out with it. So I guess you never know what you're going to find in the water, and we see all kinds of things. And certainly. Anyone who's been, had their car broken into or they've been parked at parking lot A at the Giants, they really should come down here the next day because what those, those thieves are on bicycles and they bring all their stuff down here to Huffica Park and sort through it and just leave it there. They just abandon it if they don't want it. I, um, I, one day I found a hockey referee's bag which I could only knew what that was because my husband's a hockey ref, second longest serving referee in uh, Northern California. So I thought, that looks like a hockey bag. And I went up there and went, oh, my God, it's got knee pads and it's got the striped ref's jacket and it's got the book of rules. And so I just called the guy and he came and got it. And, of course, it had been stolen, you know, while his car was parked at parking lot A. Another day I saw a suitcase and it had, you know, stuff thrown all around it. So I thought, oh, well, let me have a good look at this. And it was someone from Sydney. So I called the guy up and it turned out he was over here to help his niece who lived in Philadelphia move out to work for UCSF. And they had only been parked for two hours. Someone had, I mean, and there was, you know, they'd taken everything. There was just a bunch of shirts and stuff like that, but... um yeah, if your car gets broken into down there, try, try walking down the, the path here. One thing I often see in the water is briefcases and backpacks and somebody stole them and gone through them and just tossed them. That was Margaret Casey.
1: Check back next week when we'll hear from a group of Project Open Hand volunteers. Music for the podcast is by Otis McDonald. Film Photography is by Michelle Kilfett. You can follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram to learn about some of the stuff we do besides the podcast. Find the nearly 80 episodes on our website, storiedsf.com, which is also where you can now go to pledge your support for the show. If you're listening on Apple Podcasts, please rate and review the show for us. Send comments or suggestions to storiedsf at gmail.com. Thanks for listening.